0: But let's think about the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go and grab one from the back. Uh, It'll be helpful for you. I do put the words on the screen when I do the reading because I know that not everyone finds it easy to hold a book like this. It's got uh, well over a thousand pages. and. It's difficult to hold, but if you do have a paper Bible, I would encourage you to use it. Uh, I've been sharing a number of links on Facebook. If you follow me, you'll have seen them. Uh, Pretty much... Uh, all the research being done at the moment shows it's better to use paper than it is to use screens. Right? You will understand more, your brain will be bigger, you, uh, you will retain more, your uh, students will perform better in their exams if you're used to teaching people. There is like a one and a half grade difference between people who learn on screens and people who learn on paper. Just saying, it's, there's quite a lot of papers done about it. So, bring your paper Bible to church, or grab one from the back, and we're going to be reading that in a moment. I want to think about power this week, with a talk about power. It's always interesting to ask where the power of a particular person or team comes from. Uh, Every week in our house, we watch Match of the Day. Uh, It's not universally popular choice, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Not everybody's uh, keen on it, but there is a solid uh, 60% majority. (laughs) (laughs) So every week we watch it. We watch the teams play, and then we watch pundits analyse their performances. Okay, there is a point to this conversation. It's not just that it's my birthday and I get to talk about whatever I like. If you don't like it, go to theological college, you can have your own church. (laughs) We watch the teams play, and we watch the pundits analyse their performance. There are like three or four people, if you've not seen this show before, and they're paid to pick apart the way the teams played and to work out why one team won and the other didn't. And you might think, well, they scored more goals, but it's usually more complicated than that. For example, if you are following the mighty Spurs, blessings be upon you, uh, this season, you will know that they're having their best ever start to a season. And you will ask yourself, why are they doing so well? One of the reasons is that this guy has come back. This is Eric Lamella. Uh, He is uh, one of Spurs' star forward players and he's suddenly come back into the team this year because he's not injured. He's been injured for a couple of years on and off. And he's playing so well that it has helped the team to win game after game after game in the Premier League. As we watch them week in, week out, we're always asking the question, why? Why is this person doing well? What is it about them? that is causing them to win and what is it about these others what do they lack that is causing them not to win it's a useful question to ask now, I've uh, opened with a trivial example uh, I'm trying to be less uh, obsessive about Spurs ever since they look like they're crashing out of the Champions League uh, I'm trying to guard my own heart so I will call that a trivial example although I was close to tears on Wednesday night It is a useful question to ask in any area of life. If you want to be effective in work or in church or in family life, it's worth asking what you need. What is the one weapon, the one tool that will make the difference to have in your toolbox, in your arsenal? I said arsenal there. (laughs) That's the only time you're going to hear that this morning. Blessings be upon you, brother. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we want to fight sin, if we want to fight the power of darkness in our lives and in our families and in our communities, then we need to know what our most effective weapon is. This isn't actually a tangential question. It's not a question that doesn't matter. It's a question that's at the core of how we live as Christians. Heather and I are involved in a lot of counselling, both inside and outside this church. And one thing that I've noticed that makes a difference in people's lives and work situations and families is to be able to pray effectively. If you can't pray effectively, it's very hard to make all the progress you can make. In other words, where does the power of a spiritual warrior lie? This is one of the issues that Paul touches upon in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to read it in a moment. It's quite a long passage. Paul is actually dealing with how churches should worship. And his big picture point is, you should worship in a way people can understand. Right? That's his big idea in this chapter. Worship in a way people can understand. But in doing so, he, he explores what a couple of uh, weapons the church has in its armory. Nearly said it again. Armory. Are... And that's praying in other languages, praying in your spirit, and prophecy. And we're going to look at prophecy next week, and this week praying in other languages. Here's the lunchtime summary. I try and give this every week. This is the big headline point, if you want to go and take away and write something on your fridge, or share it with your family over lunch. Praying in tongues, that is praying with the spirit instead of the mind, is one of the most effective ways to engage with God, to pray through situations, and develop an effective prayer life. I've used the word effective twice in one sentence there, it's not just bad grammar, it's actually intentional. And we get the idea that this is about being effective in the Christian life. Praying in tongues with the spirit instead of the mind is one of the most effective ways to engage with God, pray through situations and develop an effective prayer life. Okay, we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 14, um, verses 1 to 25. Love, would you mind coming and doing this? Because I'm losing my voice a bit. If I give you this one, that will be... Okay. Okay.
1: Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophecies edifies the church." I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you have prophecy. He who prophecies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy, or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for a battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than ten thousand words in, in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. In the law it is written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, And some who do not understand, or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever, or someone who does not understand, comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you.
0: Okay, I'm just going to add the next three verses. What then should we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should, uh, should speak. One at a time and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. This is the word of God. Before we dive into what Paul is saying in this chapter, and there was a lot to take in there, don't worry if you didn't go with it all. Uh, I'm going to spend a couple of weeks unpacking what he's talking about. Let me set the scene. Prayer is the single best source of power and joy in the Christian life. In Ephesians 6, when Paul describes how a Christian is to stand against the devil's schemes, he gives a long list of spiritual qualities we need to fight. And he finishes it with this, he says, if you want to stand against the devil, if you want to live a Christian life that walks on with Jesus and fights sin and darkness, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. If we want to be effective Christians, we need to learn how to pray. If you want to see breakthrough in your families, if you're struggling with parenting children or grandchildren or you are uh, finding it hard at work or you are worried about the future of your house or your business, the one thing you can do as a Christian that will make the biggest difference is to pray effectively. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It's interesting that, isn't it? I think most of us get on board with the idea that we ought to pray. As Christians, it's the sort of thing you're taught as a child. There are prayers in the Bible. You might come from a background in quite a formal liturgical tradition. There's a book of prayers. We get that we ought to pray. And yet Paul says, not just pray. He says, pray all the time. Okay, fine Paul, thank you. There's no big deal here. Pray all the time and pray with all kinds of prayers. In other words, there's different kinds of prayer. Prayer isn't one thing. There isn't one type of prayer. There are lots of types of prayer. Now that makes sense intuitively, I think. I think we get that. I think we understand that when we speak to other people, there are different ways that we speak to them. I don't speak to my wife in the same way that I would speak to you. Thank God. I am at the moment speaking at the front of church. I wouldn't normally speak this loudly to anybody. I don't normally have myself miked. I'm not normally with speaking notes. We speak to people in different ways. Or to you, back to our sports analogy at the beginning, we understand that an effective sports team does not simply have ten goalkeepers. Can you imagine... Even those of you who don't know much about football, a team taking to the field and they all walk out with gloves on and they just stand in a line across their goal line. (laughs) Now admittedly, if you saw Tottenham's game earlier this week, that sounds like quite a good idea to me at the moment. That would be a more effective way of playing. But it would be ludicrous. You need different players. You need one guy who runs up the left and one who runs up the right. You need someone who's good at shooting the ball in the goal. You need someone who's at the back and can stop other people scoring. You need one guy who's good with his hands. And can pick it up. You need all kinds of weapons. All kinds of players. And if we want to be effective Christians, you need all kinds of prayers. There are lots of different ways of praying... And as a church, we need to learn how to use them if we're going to be effective. Now, this is part of what, God, what Paul is talking about in this passage. If you've got your Bible in front of you, look at verses 14 to 18. Uh, apologies if I suddenly noticed when Heather was reading that uh, the wording is slightly different in the one that I'm reading and the one you are. It's the same translation of the Bible, but they updated it. Uh, it after about 30 years, they produced a new edition. And one of the things they did was to try and change it to reflect that the Greek in this passage includes men and women. And that man in English used to include men and women, and now the way we use it changed quite a lot. And it's not understood in that way at all. So, he's talking to men and women here, basically. He says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what should I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. Different kinds of prayer. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Different kinds of praise. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who's now in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. If you haven't come across the word edified before, it means built up. So this building was edified from the ground upwards until it had a roof. Jim, you would be excellent at this. Jim used to be a professional edifier because he built houses. Okay, how will they be built up? That's why you have the idea of an edifice. You ever heard the word edifice? You get some horrific new build. You find these in Cambridge occasionally. There was a lot of money going around in the 60s for really bad buildings. So all the colleges said, we'll have a bit of that money, built these terrible buildings, and uh, now they're, they're stuck with them. Trinity, where I was, had the good sense to stick it in the middle of a courtyard, so you can't see it unless you're right next to it. What I love about that is that somebody in the office knew it was a terrible building when they built it. Like This is awful, but there's so much money we can't say no, so let's just stick it where no one will notice in the next 50 years. And you look at these things you say, what an awful edifice. Okay? Because it's been edified. It's this enormous structure that's been built up from the ground. You're giving thanks well, well enough, but no one else is edified. No one else is built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul describes two different types of prayer. He says, I pray with my mind or my understanding... Different ways of putting it. That's the type of prayer I imagine most of us are used to. It's the type of prayer we pray when we think about what we're going to say and we say it. Both Heather and I have prayed with our understanding in this service. Everyone can understand what we mean by what we've said. It's perfectly intelligible. It might have been written down before we said it, like the Lord's Prayer was or we might have thought of it on the spot, like Heather did when she was praying when we were singing. But it's prayer that comes from the mind. That type of prayer might be difficult to do. I know some people find it hard to pray out loud, but it's easy to get our heads round. I think we can all understand what it is. That's one type of prayer Paul describes. The second type of prayer is different. He describes it as not praying with your mind, but praying with your spirit. So Paul's got this idea that we are not just walking brains. There are different parts to our lives, and part of it is our spirit. He says, I pray with my spirit, not my mind. It's another way of saying, to put it another way, he, he, he talks about praying in tongues or languages. This is prayer that can't be understood by other people. It's between the person praying and God, and it is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Pausing there, that's quite a difficult idea to get our heads around. If you're not from a Pentecostal or charismatic tradition, then this is quite a hard thing to get your head around. All I would say is, I think instinctively we recognise that this must be true in some sense. There are times when we just don't know how to put what we're saying. Have you ever had an argument with somebody and you've just gone, oh, I don't know how to say what I want to say to you. It's, there's something inside me that wants to be expressed, but I can't find the words. Or you, you get this in rom-coms as well. I've done a lot of man analogies, I do a lady analogy. You get some rom-coms, you say, I'm just, I guess, after all that's been said, where the girl can't tell the boy she loves him, or the boy can't tell the girl that uh, he loves her. She says, I, I'm, this is Julia Roberts, okay, picture it, I'm Julia Roberts. <laughs> Very small. I guess I'm just, I guess I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy, trying to say, I love you, okay? Right, uh, and asking him to love me, is that right? No, she's saying that can't be right. Unbelievable. (laughs) Don't heckle me on rom-coms. It is a sense that she's like, I just can't find the words. I guess all I'm just trying to say is I'm just here, just understand me. Right, we get that idea that you can't always express what it is that you're feeling. That there's some part of you that isn't just your mind. That isn't just our minds. It's the part of us that finds joy and tries to express it but can't always. It's the part of us that wants to hug someone rather than just saying hello. That somehow words are not adequate. Paul expresses it this way in Romans 8 when he's talking about praying in tongues. He says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's good, isn't it? God knows that we are rubbish at this. Helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He makes us pray in a way that doesn't use words we can understand. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. God's Spirit opens up in us a whole different way of communicating with him. And we've been thinking a lot about this with spiritual gifts. We've been seeing how spiritual gifts are, in one sense, like an expansion of what we can do naturally. So we thought about this with healing. When Paul talks about spiritual gift of healing, he doesn't write off medicine. He's talking about extending it beyond what it can normally do. So in 2 Timothy 5, Paul will write to Timothy, I want you to, you're constantly sick. I want you to stop drinking the water. And I want you to start drinking some wine, because it will help your stomach. Right? Medicine. If you're ill, stop doing the thing that makes you ill. Start taking the stuff that will fix it. But he also says there are people with gifts of healing. So occasionally, Paul will go and he'll pray for someone. And he'll say, I don't have any medicine that can fix you. But I do know that God wants to go beyond what we can do naturally. He wants, in a sense, to move past us and to heal people. Paul knows that we pray with our minds. Each one of us can pray with our mind. And yet he says the Spirit wants to go beyond just praying with our minds and help us to pray with our spirits as well. God's Spirit and our Spirit working together. It's as if God's Spirit prays through us with our spirit and helps us say things to God that we could never put into words. Either because we don't understand what we're praying about or because we don't know what to say. Now, this comes to the big point that Paul's making in this chapter that isn't really a problem in our church, so I haven't dwelt on it that much. But obviously, if no one else can understand what you're saying, it's not that helpful for them. It doesn't edify them. They don't get built up. Because they can't understand. They just sort of sit there and listen It's oh, interesting. A bit like when Abby's singing nonsense songs at breakfast. And drives Sam mad. Because he can't understand what she's on about. Sam is a very rational boy. He likes things just so. He likes an explanation. And so she's singing a nonsense song. He gets very cross. And in the end, people get hit. <laughs> Paul's saying, if you're sitting in church and say, you know five or six people praying with their spirits, and you're just sitting there going, oh. Gladys is at it again. Or Tim is at it again. And just wait until the end. And then we'll sit down. And Gladys and Tim are in raptures because they've been praising God. And you're just sat there waiting for them to finish. Paul says, that's not good. No one's being built up. When you get together, prefer to pray with your minds, because then everyone can understand it. Or, if you do pray in tongues, that's fine to pray in tongues in the, in the church, but go pray that God would help you to explain what's being said to other people, so they can understand it and engage with it. Now, you might have listened very politely, you have listened very politely to me, with the exception of Heather heckling me. You might be tempted to ask, Phil, you obviously care a lot about this. We've indulged these kind of Pentecostal flights of fancy occasionally. Why should we want to pray like this? After all, it just seems weird. You just seem weird at the moment. The first thing I would say is, if you've got a problem with the weird, you're worshipping in a church that uh, gives its entire life to follow a... uh, Jewish carpenter from 2,000 years ago who we believe rose from the dead. If weird is your issue, you need to deal with that a long time ago. Okay? The whole thing's weird. Once you accept that people rise from the dead, everything's in play. I do understand, however, the difficulty with wrapping our heads around something that's non-rational. I am a rational person. I, you don't get more rational than a chancery barrister. Okay, I'm the sort of person who literally went round to a friend of mine's house when I was at university, and we were chatting, and I said, can I explain something really interesting to you? This would be so good, it's so exciting to understand. And I drew how property trusts worked on a board for her, and she just sat there and looked at me and said, what is going on? A hyper-rational. I get that impulse. I get the suspicion of anything that smacks of fanaticism but I would strongly encourage you if you are like me somebody who finds this sort of stuff difficult to get past it and to accept that life is more than just your brain and thank God for it why would we why does Paul say earnestly desire spiritual gifts why does Paul say I'd love it if everyone prayed in tongues why does he say that when Paul doesn't waste words why say that he wants everyone to do it Well, first of all, it is prayer with the whole life, and there are times when we need that. Even the biggest brain cannot be relied upon to be able to pray in every situation. There are times when we're too tired. There are times when we are too upset. You just can't find the words. There are times in my own life when I, and I will be open with this because I want to encourage you to be open with it as well if you've suffered with it. I am somebody who has suffered very badly with depression at times in my life. And the very idea of finding words to pray when you are suffering with depression is incomprehensible. You simply cannot work out how to speak to somebody else, let alone how to speak to God. At times like these, when we are weak... Being able to pray with our spirits rather than our mind is invaluable. Invaluable. When you can't decide what to pray and you can't find the words to pray and you struggle even to open your mouth, let alone work out what you should say, or something just seems so big it cannot possibly be put into words, having God come in and say, look, I'm just going to take your heart and express it in some way that's meaningful to me is invaluable. Priceless. Provides a connection that doesn't rely upon my mind working properly. Second is prayer with God's power. Prayer is where we access and are transformed by the power of God. And praying in tongues is deep prayer. Paul, one of the most effective and powerful Christians in history, says that he prays in tongues more than anyone else. Stop with that for a moment. I don't know if you've considered St. Paul. If you haven't, do. He's worth considering. The man who transformed Western culture and the global thought more than anyone else, who stands alongside Plato and Aristotle as the most influential minds in the West's history, says, I pray in tongues more than anybody else. The man who founded the church. After Jesus Christ, the single most influential Christian in church history. Whose power we still feel today. Says I do this more than anybody else. If you're facing a difficult situation or a stronghold of darkness. And you don't know how to pray about it. Then praying in tongues is one of the most effective ways of engaging with God. Do not ask me to explain how this works. I haven't got a scooby-doo. All I know is, when I pray in tongues about stuff, it seems to get better, or I get better in it. And when I don't, when I bottle it all up, or try and work out a solution, it doesn't get better, and I get more stressed. I can't explain why it's effective prayer. It's just my testimony and that of others. I'm going to play a video in a moment from a remarkable woman. Uh, A woman who is actually personally known to several people in the church uh, and who uh, comes to ministers down the road in Mosey occasionally. Uh, This is a woman called Jackie Pullinger. If you don't know of Jackie, I strongly, strongly encourage you to find out more about her. Uh, She has a book. This is the book. It's called Chasing the Dragon. Uh, I bought four copies for the church because I am pushing this and Jackie talks in the book about her uh, life and her ministry uh, I have to say, by the way if you are somebody who struggles with Christian books you feel, I feel you recommend all these books and they're really heavy and doctrine heavy And read this, it's like a brilliant novel uh, and she's hilariously funny as well uh, in quite a wry way uh, Heather will tell you that. I, actually, I have actually sat in, the, in our house laughing out loud while I was reading it this week. Um, Jackie uh, was an oboe player, uh, but God is a God of grace and overcame that. She trained as an oboe player, became as a Christian, and then in 1966 left on a boat to serve God overseas. She knew that she should go abroad. Uh, she had had... Uh, 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 a real sense from God that that was right and believed she'd had a word from God about it but didn't know where to go so she went to see this <laughs> this vicar who uh, I mean credit to him he was brave he said to her look you should just uh, no other missionary society would touch her so she wouldn't she wasn't old enough she wasn't qualified in any way who wants a mid, an oboe player on the mission field Right, doctors yes lawyers maybe you can run stuff oboe players not so much uh, so none of the missionary societies would take her so this, this vicar when She went to said, well, I'd just get on a boat if I were you. God has said she should go, just just get on a boat and you'll see where you end up. So uh, she gets on this boat and and sails off into Hong Kong, which at that time is under British administration. But there is this area of Hong Kong called the Walled City. Uh, I can see Miranda nodding. Uh, You would do far better explaining this than me. Forgive me if I make mistakes. But my understanding is that basically the Walled City got stuck between Chinese and British rule. Right, it wasn't under Chinese rule, and it wasn't under British rule. It was under no rule. There were no police. No building regulations. There were 30,000 people, she says. So somewhere between 30 and 60,000 people living on six acres. To give you a sense of that, I think that's about the size of from here to Ryden School. You look, you're shaking your head. Not, not that big or bigger? Okay. I think it's from about here, here to Ryden School... Well, Three Rivers Academy, as it is now, uh, with 30 to 60,000 people living on it. Right, no sewage. I think there are two toilets, and it, it, because there's no police, it's the place where the triads work. Right, Hong Kong and Chinese gangs. Uh, they. There's a constant running war between those who run the opium dens and those who run the heroin dens. As I won't spoil it for you, but there's a very funny story in the book where this guy runs up to Jackie and says, Jackie, you must speak to the police for us. She said, well, what do you want me, what do you want me to say? He says, it's terrible. She can see this guy's an opium addict. She says, well, what's the problem? He said, well, they've shut down all the opium dens. She said, well, that's not a problem. That's great. He said, but they've left all the heroin ones open, and it's not fair because we all paid them the same bribes. <laughs> well give you a feel for the world that she's working in. Anyway, no funding or support from a church or other body. Jackie began to work with gang members and drug addicts, founding youth clubs and trying to help them get free of drugs and become Christians. Strongly encourage you to read the book. I'm going to play a video from a Channel 4 documentary about Jackie uh, called The Law of Love. It's from 1989, so the picture quality is not amazing. Uh, uh, But you get a sense of... The way that Jackie ministered and her testimony about what happens when she learnt to pray in tongues, I think is something that we really have to wrestle with if we want to be effective in our village. Here it is.
2: No film theater and the gambling dens and the heroin dens. There wasn't even a neutral place where they could be. So it was to be a kind of safe place. Every time we sung hymns or something, they'd go outside and whistle and shout the smoke and wait till I've done the religious bit, and then they'd come back in. And it was actually terrible knowing that within a few years, many would die and many more would be in prison. And I didn't know how to reach them they were terrible to me i mean they used my equipment badly and they used to throw away footballs and steal the roller skates and uh... it was it was a complete mess and one day um, one of the uh, Boys, uh, I think he was about 16. I got really angry with him and I, I said, You know, what do you mean by treating this stuff so badly? And he said, Oh, we are poor, underprivileged people here in the world city in, in Hong Kong. And you've got this nice church who's supporting you. So that's how it should be. And I said, No, there's no nice church. Then I lost all the good lot, and uh, that was probably the best day of the beginning of the work, because I was left with all the crumbs, and they knew they couldn't get anything off me. But we were friends, and as well as the people from the youth club, I was beginning to see the the rows, and the roads, and the huts full of men, who were taking heroin and to, to visit the opium dens and uh, I was distressed that we didn't have an answer. Um, It didn't seem to be good enough to hand them a piece of paper and say you know register at such and such a a clinic. Um, I was sure that if Jesus were here he heal them and I began to look at the Bible and I saw that he healed everybody who came to him, everybody and uh, I thought it would be wonderful to go down the lanes you know lay your hands on blind people and see them seeing I mean that that would be a whole lot more fun and real than saying come to our Sunday service you know because they they, they don't come to your Sunday service have got shoes and they can't read you know so it's you know it's not relevant and I saw that um, Jesus and his disciples had this power and even when Jesus went, the disciples went on healing people and Jesus said we were supposed to. Now I remembered that when I left England I knew of a person whom I greatly respected who's um, in the Anglican Church who was reputed to speak in tongues um, and he had a very remarkable uh, and, and real ministry so uh, I, I, I thought some of this might be connected and I read more books and uh, the the sound of the gift of tongues was great because apparently suddenly you had words which you you hadn't learnt which enabled you to express all that was in your heart without being confined by the limits of your own expression if God has anything from his spirit that will help me to be real to people, I don't want to just preach, then I'd like that. So I said, Jesus, that's what I'd like, and I'll decide what to call it later. I met this couple on the edge of the walled city one night. And as soon as I saw them, I just knew they'd got whatever it was. So I went up to this couple's house and they came to pray for me and they put their hands on my head, you know. But then they told me to speak in tongues and I was quite annoyed about that because I wasn't going to perform, you know. I thought, if God's going to do it, he's going to do it. So I, I kept my mouth firmly shut and of course nothing happened except I got hot. Um, and it was very humid and I stuck to the seat and I was terribly embarrassed because they got this plate of oranges, and, which was to celebrate, and this plate of flannels for me to cry into. And, um, and all I could think about during that awful time was, oh, God, they're, they're not going to need either plate. And uh, finally, I, I was so embarrassed that I opened my mouth to say help God in English And when I opened my mouth, of course, he was able to give me a new language, which came up quite fluently. From then on, she prayed in tongues every day for 15 minutes by the clock. And I would say before I began, Lord, there are all these people dying. You want them to have life, and I want them to have life. Please help me now to pray for them with your understanding. Because when you pray in tongues, you pray according to the Spirit of God, and he knows how to pray for those people better. And the extraordinary thing was that a few weeks after beginning to do this, I found I'd tell people about Jesus and they'd believe. And um, at first, I thought my language was, had, had improved and my Chinese suddenly got good. And then I realised I was saying exactly the same things I'd said before, but this time I was saying them to the right people. I was saying them to people who were already to hear, who immediately understood.
0: um, You might find those types of stories difficult to believe. All I can say is, I think it's just coming back to Molsey in a year or so's time. Go and ask it yourself. Um, You might be from a a tradition that's sceptical of all of this. And you find your head hard to get around it. You might even have theological objections. And I'm happy to chat through any objection that anybody has. And you're welcome here whether you agree with what I've been saying or not. Everybody's welcome here. All I would say is, I want to live a life that is powerful. Not for my own sake, but because I want to see God transforming the lives of those around me. I I long to see this village come to a deeper understanding of Jesus Christ. I I long to see those who are struggling set free. And I am willing to pursue any weapon that God has that might make that possible. Let me finish by saying how answering the question how. Naturally you can't do it. That's why we find it so hard to express ourselves, because naturally there is an element of this that we just cannot do by ourselves. Just like naturally I can't heal people, right? I can give them medicine, but I can't command sicknesses to leave. Only the Spirit of God can do that. I can't pray with my spirit, I can only pray with my mind unless God's spirit makes me able. It is God who enables us to pray in this way. He prays through us. It is his gift. So, if you want to receive this gift, how do you do it? Well, ask for it. Ask for it. More specifically, draw near to God. That is to say, if there is anything that needs to be put right in your life, put it right. It's a bit much to go to somebody living in a way that you know angers and displeases them and then ask them for a gift. It's a bit much. It's a bit much with people. It's a bit much with God. Draw near to God and put right anything that needs to be put right. Believe that God wants to fill you with your spirit and give you gifts. Don't take my word for it, the word of Jesus. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. As with every spiritual gift, it is the Spirit who fills us and then works through us. Then ask to be able to pray with your Spirit. If you want to be able to pray with your Spirit, ask to be able to pray with your Spirit. Come and say, Lord, I, have this, I, I want to be able to pray effectively. My family needs prayer. My business needs prayer. My friends need prayer. God, you know my pastor needs prayer. And I cannot find the words to pray, and I'm just longing that you would teach me how to pray. Pray through me, pray through my spirit, give me this gift. Asking sometimes involves persistence. And then step out. Begin to pray. This is often the hardest bit, because our pride rises up and accuses us of being ridiculous. It's actually Satan, rises up and accuses us of being ridiculous. What on earth do you think you're doing? You are behaving like a toddler. I'm sorry, but there's no alternative but to persevere. Mike Pilabachi, who wrote the other book that I'm pushing at the moment, which is Everyday Supernatural, which is the best guide to spiritual gifts I've ever come across. And I, there are two copies at the back. That means two people must have mine already. I want them back if you do, Uh, then go and grab that. He puts it this way. He says, for all of us, there comes a point when if we want to speak in tongues, we have to step out in faith and take a risk. You have to start speaking and trust the Holy Spirit will begin to enable the words. When you begin, the devil will probably whisper in your ear, you're just making this up. When he said that to us, the other guy that Mike wrote the book with, the two of us said, Lord, even if what I say is gobbledygook, may it be gobbledygook to you. It may sound childish at the beginning, so don't focus on what you're saying. Focus on Jesus. Your prayer language will develop and grow. What Mike is saying is, what's the worst that can happen? If your heart is to pray and to seek God, then God will make good from it anyway. Ask, believe, receive and speak. My friends, becoming like Jesus and fighting about darkness is a serious battle. We ought to be serious people about it and serious people want the best weapons. Praying in tongues with the spirit instead of the mind is one of the most effective ways to engage with God, pray through situations and develop an effective prayer life.